630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Francisco Lariano pitched for the Blue Jays tonight. He went six innings, gave up seven hits. Two of the three runs he allowed were earned. A couple of walks, five strikeouts. He did surrender a home run. So the Jays trying to pull that one out. The uh, Orioles still lead the White Sox 4-2. It's now after six. The Edmonton uh, prospects, we had their owner, Patrick Cassidy, on in the last half hour. They continue to trail Medicine Hat one nothing. bottom of the fifth. That's game one of uh, their division final. Swift Current and Yorkton. In the other division final, Swift Current up 2-0, bottom of the fourth in uh, game one. Those are best of five series. You can text 630-630. Kevin says, glad to hear Craig McTavish will be playing in the Heritage Classic with the other alumni since he didn't get to play in the original due to uh, him being the coach. Awesome time to be an Oiler fan. That is from Kevin. Appreciate that, Kevin. Always nice to get a positive text every once in a while. Sam G, always love when uh, he's listening. He says, uh, thanks, Reed and Matthew, for reminding me of my youth with all this dance music. I feel very old now. <laughs> when did Backstreet's Back, or what was it called? Was it called Backstreet's Back, or was it called Everybody? Or was it called Rock Your Body? Or was it called Everybody with Backstreet's Backstreet's Back in brackets? I think it was Backstreet's Back... All right, I think. <laughs> I think, but I just remember that song being played. Like that's the video where they're all in the haunted house and they turn into creatures and stuff. Yeah. What was that like? Ninety ninety nine? Ninety six? I don't know. Ninety seven? One of those years. <laughs> just randomly throwing out years. Yeah. It was before the turn of the century. Are we pretty sure about that? It was before I started junior high, I believe. All right. There you go. Well, didn't they have an album, Millennium, that came out in 2000? It was before yeah. that. Well, I know. Yeah. I just realized I know way too much about the Backstreet Boys. I want it my way? For a 42-year-old man. Because I want it my way. That, no, I want it that way. I want way. it that way. I, want I, it that I think way. I want it my way is the McDonald's slogan, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Well, Big yeah, Mac and the yeah, Backstreet yeah, Boys, well, I yeah, guess, yeah, right? Yeah, sure you're eating healthier, Matthew. <laughs> Uh, Jared says, oh, no, it sounds like bagged milk and jean shorts are running the dance party. <laughs> uh, P.S. You should have picked Yarmir Yager's mullet in the annual Robbie Shrimp draft last night. That is from uh, Jared. Well, first of all, Jared, uh, thanks for listening two nights in a row. <laughs> um, so last night in studio, we had the guys from Oilers Nation, bagged milk and jean shorts. I Maybe they're real names. I don't know. I used to say not their real names. Maybe they are. So that was fun. So what did we do? We said, let's let's do... Uh, now, nobody has called me on this. What we believe is Edmonton's first fantasy hockey draft for the upcoming season. Uh, not, like, not a keeper league where you already have players or you might be signing free agents or something. Uh, we believe we did Edmonton's first fantasy hockey draft for the upcoming season. We label it the first annual... Robbie Shrimp 
hockey draft. We each took six players. Connor McDavid went first overall to uh, Gene Shorts. Uh, for some reason, I took Jason Spezza, which wouldn't be a bad pick, except it's in a draft where you only take 18 guys. And you each have to take a goalie and a defenseman. So uh, we'll see. Some of the guys we left on the table included Yarmir Yager. Who else did we not take, Matthew? Uh, Tarasenko, Panarin. Pavelski. Nobody Forsberg. took Pavelski. Pavelski, who was fifth or sixth in league scoring, yeah. did not get selected. Just out there. Well, gone. he's a quiet star. That's like the stupidest excuse ever. And I took a very out-there goaltender. Remember, I took John Gibson. Yeah, we gave you the, what's your team? Matt's Dogs Breakfast's Leftovers team. Yeah, the Slops so, or something like that or whatever. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Gibson, who knows? Who knows? Uh, Don says Matt's accent is definitely Alaskan bush people. I, I don't get that reference. <laughs> Don, it's, it's funny, but if you're referencing a movie or a TV show, I don't get it. If you're just coming up with something funny, then you've succeeded. That strikes me that that would be um, uh, like an X-Files creature or something like that. Alaskan bush people. Remember, they? I think it was, wasn't it the second or third episode? No, it might have been the second episode of the X-Files was uh, the, the Jersey Devil. Right? You remember that? Then I remember this. The first episode was the alien one. The third one was uh, the episode Squeeze. Remember that Adrian Toomes character that needed to steal other people's livers so he could keep living and he could contort himself and get into small spaces? All right. Here's the thing. Either people are like, well, this is great. Reed knows about more than just sports because he knows about the Backstreet Boys and old X-Files episodes. Or they're thinking, this is horrible. Why doesn't this guy get back to talking about sports? Well, Don tweeted in about the Alaskan bush people. Anyway, they did a show, uh, the X-Files did a show about the Jersey Devil uh, and the team in New Jersey is called the New Jersey Devils. By the way, that's where Taylor Hall was traded. How's that for tying it all back together with a local angle that people wanted to talk about, apparently? Impressive. <laughs> that's like, great for a Friday night. We, we should do six degrees of the Taylor Hall trade. <laughs> give, me a, give me a topic, and I'll somehow tie it back to the Taylor Hall trade. The devil's advocate. <laughs> that should be the challenge. Uh, all right. Uh, all right, Don says Alaskan Bush People is a reality series on Discovery Channel. There you go. That's your accent. Now we have to watch it to compare. Thank you, thank you, Don. That's that's perfect information. And I think Don's from the Barhead area. Nice community, Barhead. Tell you what, we got Taylor Sinski on the line. He's the director of golf over at a beautiful course in Northeast Edmonton, the Quarry. Taylor, welcome back to the show, man. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me back. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing very well. Uh, good to have you on the show. And of course, I've been running into you uh, several times throughout the summer. And I, and I guess I should also introduce you as the uh, maybe the most patient man in Edmonton because you've uh, survived giving me a couple of golf lessons this summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a, you're, you're a quick learner, which is uh, which makes it a lot easier for anyone instructing someone, especially in golf. So that's good to see. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that because I. <laughs> I, I, I felt like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm subjecting <laughs> Taylor to this. But uh, I, 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 I've always been a good mimic. Uh, it's, it's just whether or not I can, I can keep doing it uh, round after round. But it's made a difference. And for me, like I, I said to you, my goal is, Taylor, 
I, I don't expect to go out there and start shooting 75 because I took a couple lessons, but my goal was to have concrete things to fall back on if I hit a couple of bad shots. I can, I can get back to some fundamental things that help. Absolutely. Having those thoughts in your mind. I mean, when you, when you don't take a lesson and you're just kind of out there um, blind, it's tough to know what went wrong and, and how to correct it. But at least if you have some knowledge of, okay, I hit it a little heavy or I hit a little thin or left or right, and you know um, from having a lesson why that might be happening, at least you're able to go back to some basic things and, and correct it within a round versus just kind of feeling lost out there. Yeah, well, that's what I've found. I mean, like, you're never going to eliminate bad shots. I mean, look at Jordan Spieth at the – I mean, pick a guy, right? Right. You're never going to eliminate the, the bad no. shots. But if you don't let them mount, right, you can you can live with uh, the odd bogey or double bogey, but you don't want to be putting up the sevens and eights on, on, the, on, on the scorecard. What's uh, – I, I mean, I have – and I you know, still have. It's not, it's not gone. And then your ball always has a spin. For a right-handed golfer, is it, is it the slice that is often hurting a lot of guys and gals in their rounds? Absolutely. If you walked up and down our driving range on a Saturday, if we've got, call it 300 players out here, you'll see about 280 of them hitting a slice. So um, it's a very, very common ball flight. It's the by far the most common uh, ball flight that we see and what people are trying to fix. Um, and it's, you know, there's a lot of reasons for it. And it's, um, it's something that can be fixed in some cases quite quickly. And uh, even in the, the first lesson, you and I saw your ball flight straighten out uh, quite a bit, just over uh, 45 minutes or so. Well, and one, and one of the stories I've told and I've been telling my buddies too is, and we worked on this the last time, is, and I'm almost embarrassed to say that, well, it's kind of comical actually, I was not aiming where I thought I was aiming. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? That is that is such a big uh, factor in in ball flights, whether it be a hook or a fade. Um, and it that's not just you. That's not just the guy who plays once a month. That's you know, for example, I went out there today with uh, with our superintendent and played, and uh, I had him lining me up on a few holes because I, I don't get to play as much anymore, and I'm so out of whack. So it's. If you're not lined up correctly, your chances of hitting it down the fairway or your target line, what you think your target line is, uh, your odds are not very good. So having a correct setup and um, posture and grip and and all those things and uh, alignment is so important to be able to actually hit the golf shot where you're hoping to. Yeah, well, that's an important thing, I think, for people to remember is that sometimes your shot is – Doomed. I hate to hate to use that stronger word, but you know, I mean, your shot is your your shot is off course before you've even started your swing. Absolutely, that's correct. A hundred percent. There's there's no way you can. Well, I shouldn't say no way. It's you're not very likely to hit a good golf shot without a good foundation. And if you're aimed left and with your feet and your shoulders are aimed right and you've got some lines crossing, it's going to be very difficult for the club face to be square through the hitting zone and, and hit the ball down your intended target line. 
Taylor Sinski joining us, an inside sports director of golf at the Quarry. And, of course, uh, you can go on the 630 Chad YouTube channel. Check out my Twitter account. There's a new video there today. We've been doing uh, Discover the Quarry uh, once a week. Taylor and I have, uh, have shot some videos throughout the summer. So uh, you got the 27 holes uh, out there. Uh, I've played granite and slate, and you and I played a couple of holes on Ironstone uh, when we were out there doing the video. So is, are all 27 open on a day, or do you have a rotation? How do you how do you work it? Yeah, on every day except Monday, all three nines are open. Uh, Monday we have maintenance day, so we close one of our nines so the superintendent and his crew can um, kind of give some TLC to that one nine, which is great to be able to have that luxury uh, and not affect our T-sheet too much. So Tuesday through Sunday, every nine is open. Uh, rotations change slightly depending on the day. Tuesday's men's league and Wednesday's ladies' league. and So that changes the rotations a bit, but all three of them are open six days of the week. Well, and I and I like your the options for the uh, the tee decks, and I mean people can go on your website, or if they go golf there, they can find out which is is suited for them. Do you do you ever do you ever find that that and and I'm probably going to stereotype a little bit here, but probably men especially maybe <laughs> overestimate. You know what? You don't need to play the seven thousand yard course, right? You're not. Yeah. You're not. You're not being wimpy if you say like maybe i need to play the 6300 yard right you know what i mean <laughs> no you know what you're absolutely right and even me and the guys from the shop will go and play our, our third deck you know the middle tees which is i think 6600 yards sometimes um you know it, that is one of the big reasons why we numbered our tee boxes at the golf club versus uh making them the traditional colors and the reason is, is because we do stretch the golf course out to 7,800 yards. So if we call those hypothetically the blues, if a guy is used to playing the blues at his own home club and it's 6,800 yards and he comes out here and he says, oh, yeah, I can play the blues, but it's an extra 1,000 yards, uh, might struggle a little bit. Well, yeah, that's that's that, that's the beauty about golf, right? You can you can play the uh, the tees that are more uh, more tailored to uh, to your ability, so to speak. All right, so uh, you guys had the uh, the Mark Spector Golf Classic for Sports Central there last week. Uh, that was awesome. I, I guess you got you always got something going on out there, right? We do, yeah. Our uh, our tournament schedule is pretty full. Lots of corporate stuff. Specs event was awesome. The the feedback from that was incredible. Um, great to have events out here like that that can raise money for for good charities and causes. And um, we've uh, we've been doing more and more of them as as the golf course grows and and uh, people are more aware of us being around. So um, it's a it's a very uh, busy month for August and September, and uh, hopefully continue some good momentum through the fall. Well, and I, I almost hate to bring this up, but it is August. Uh, best case scenario, uh, I mean, staying open into into late October, end of October? Yeah, you know what? Last year, it was the last Sunday in August, or sorry, October, August, October that we closed. So looking at the calendar this year, I think that's the 30th. So if we could stay open until that, you know, 21st to 30th we'd be thrilled because we were open the first of april if we can get seven full months in central northern alberta we're we're pretty happy all right right on well taylor thanks for uh the update thanks again for the lessons uh, again the quarryedmonton.com if people want to learn more online or book a tea time or uh or book a lesson or any fun stuff like that really appreciate <laughs> you having on the show man 
Thanks for having me, Reed. That is Taylor Sinski checking in tonight, director of golf at the quarry, the quarry Edmonton, uh, dot com. 780-496-0063. You can text 63630. Knee deep texting in. He says, uh, hey, Taylor, just because Wilkins slips you 50 bucks doesn't mean you have to compliment him. Ha! Huh? All right. I take exception to that. It was only $20. I'm too cheap to spend 50 bucks to buy a compliment. <laughs> uh, it's been good working with Taylor. And uh, my golf shots are not good, but they are better than... <laughs> They were better than they were. It's an indication of uh, how bad I, I, I was I was uh, playing. But again, the, the the lessons helped me in that, like I said in the interview, they, they gave me something concrete to fall back on as opposed to just golfing one week and playing okay and then golfing the next week and hitting poor shots and my swing not feeling any differently or just randomly trying different things and not really knowing what's working and, and uh, what's not working. And uh, by the way, the latest edition of Discover the Quarry, I just tweeted that out. Uh, at Reed Wilkins, if you want to watch it, it's on the 6:30 Ched YouTube channel. Great hole on one of their nine-hole tracks there, the slate layout right along the North Saskatchewan River. Really cool-looking hole. Uh, frustrated fan. Oh, here we go. What are your thoughts on Ben Scriven's comments today on Clefbaum's comments after the Taylor Hall trade? All right. So this is what it has come to for hockey talk on uh, August 5th. One player's comments on another's player's comments, which may or may have not been his comments on a player who's no longer with the team. Yeah, I mean, look, I'll, I'll tell you the full thing here. When Clefbaum made these comments, I was uh, away. I took a little holiday that I mentioned yesterday. I was away uh, Sunday to Wednesday. I was out of the loop on a lot of stuff, so I didn't even see anything about Clefbaum's comments until today. Um, Clefbaum says the, his comments were not translated properly. Um saying that Hall never played his best against the tougher teams in the league, later saying that that was incorrect, that he just meant that the entire team didn't uh, play well against the best teams in the NHL. And uh, Ben Scrivens, who's now a uh, KHL goaltender, um, saying uh, to a Russian journalist, well, uh, Clefbaum would know well he played with him for a while. I can't say that he's wrong. Look, quite frankly, here are my comments, frustrated fan, and to anybody about this. I Personally, I'm not interested in wading into this crap, uh, quite frankly. Despite being a member of the media who often interviews people and relies on people talking to me to get information and to provide that information to you. Here's the way I look at it. Taylor Hall has been traded. And... I'm not going to now look for things that put a negative spin on Taylor Hall's tenure with the Oilers. There was enough negativity around it simply because the team stunk the entire time he was here. And I, I don't think that was his fault. I mean, he's part of the team, so you have to take some of the responsibility. But I'm not going to sit there and now say, oh, it was all Taylor Hall's fault that he's gone. Thank goodness he's gone. Look, he was a good he was a really good player as an Oiler. He'll continue to be a really good player as a New Jersey Devil or wherever his team takes him. Uh, I didn't do the interview with Oscar Clefbaum. He claims there was a misinterpretation with his comments. Fair enough. I mean, I I I just to to me for from my personal standpoint is 
I'm not going to change my tune. If Oilers players say something interesting that can be confirmed about this trade or about Hall, then fine. Maybe we can talk a little more completely about it. But I, 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 I mean, I, I've already talked about it more than I would have wanted to. I, I don't think it's worth here in the middle of at the start of August to make a, a segment on one pl- one ex-Oiler commenting on a what a current Oiler may or may not have said about a now ex-Oiler. I mean, do you get where I'm saying with this? I mean, it gets a little junior high gossip here after a while. So, you know, fair enough. Uh, Hall's gone. I have the same opinion of him as a player as I, as I did before. I have the same opinion I, uh, of the trade as I did a six weeks ago or five weeks ago when it happened. And, uh, I mean, like, I don't want to act it sound like I'm putting down Ben Scrivens, but, I mean, he's he's long gone from the Oilers. He wasn't a factor on their roster last year. He's now in the, in the KHL. I mean, okay. Like, we're, we're, we're going to sit here and analyze what he's... He's again. Ben Scrivens is commenting on comments he didn't hear firsthand, and he's not sure what they are. So, to me, it's it's not really worth spending a lot of time analyzing. It's coming up on eight twenty-seven. You can text six thirty six thirty. You'll hear from your quarterback, Mike Riley, when we get back. It's Inside Sports on six thirty. Chet. For breaking news and expert opinion, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Top of the ninth, Blue Jays and Royals still tied 3 3. We're also following the uh, Edmonton prospects in their playoff game in Medicine Hat, game one of a best of five. Medicine Hat still up 1 0. That's in the bottom of the seventh. Texts come into 630 630. Uh, Michael says, out of left field, off season question. If you had to guess, how many years do you suppose it will be until Ryan Smith gets inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame? I ask because I desperately want 94 raised at Rogers Place and doubt that will happen before he's inducted. Wow, great question. Personally, I think Ryan Smith would be a bit of a long shot to make the Hockey Hall of Fame. 842 points in 1,270 games. Uh, certainly at the peak of his career, he would have been considered one of the best uh, wingers in the NHL. He never won an individual award. He never led the league in scoring or goal scoring or anything like that. Um, that that's an interesting debate to me. Now, certainly his uh, points per game, goals per game average affected by the last you know, three or four years of his career where he wasn't, uh, well, he still had 23 goals in 10-11. I mean, his last couple of years with the Oilers, he only had 12 goals in about twelve in about 120 games. So, yeah, I don't know. Does Ryan Smith go into the Hockey Hall of Fame? I'm not sure that he does, Matthew. That I know he's, I'm not, I know he's beloved and he was, he was a, a great Oiler. And, and I, I, maybe I have higher standards for the Hockey Hall of Fame than the actual Hockey Hall of Fame committee. 
I don't think he belongs there either. I mean, I, I, he's one of the best orders probably. He had the most heart of any order in, in, the, in the history of the team. But I just don't see him being a Hall of Fame guy because of his numbers. They aren't there. His best season was 39 goals in 96-97. So I just just don't see him being there. And plus, he didn't win a Stanley Cup. I mean, that's tough to justify a player going into the Hall of Fame not winning a Stanley Cup. That's tough. I, I disagree. I disagree. I don't think you. I don't think winning a Stanley Cup has to be a criteria, especially now with so many teams in the league. I mean, if you're talking about an ex-Oiler who there might be a serious debate about for the Hall of Fame. Now he wasn't an Oiler for as long as Ryan Smith. That is Doug. That is Doug Waite, who had a, a, a better points per game, 1,033 points in 1,238 games. He obviously played for the Rangers, Oilers, uh, Blues, uh, Hurricanes, Blues again, Ducks, and the Islanders. Um, I think if you're debating an ex-Oiler and the Hall of Fame, I think there's a, a lot more uh, interesting debate around Doug Waite. Personally, I mean, Doug Waite had a, a 104-point season. He had an 82-point season, had a 92-point season, continued to produce. Um, you know, they played almost the same number of games. Smith played 32 more, uh, and Waite had about 100, well, Waite had almost 200 more points. Bernie's on the line. Hello, Bernie. Hey, I you know, I never thought of that question until you read it a minute ago. And I'm wondering if uh, it's a sad comment on the fact the Oilers were available all the time, but the flip side of being Captain Canada, being at mm-hmm. the part of Team Canada. So as the Hockey Hall of Fame, it's his NHL career, but also his total career. I'm not, I'm not even fighting saying he should be. I'm just wondering if that might give a few extra points for him in the consideration. That's an interesting debate. I mean, personally, now again, personally, Bernie, and that's the thing about the Hall of Fame. If it was, if if I ran the Hall of Fame, there'd probably be a lot fewer guys in it, right? Um, I personally wouldn't put much emphasis on the World Championships because even though we love it, it's a watered down championship. Now he was on the Olympic team, though, which is a, right. which was a pretty big deal. Um, so, I don't know. Captain Canada? Sure. Did that mean a lot in Edmonton? Does that mean as much to the hockey world? I don't know if it does. And there may be other players who played a similar number of games. And again, because sadly their teams weren't in the right. playoffs, so they were, they were available. But well, and here, the fact that he did go there. And again, and again, I'm not pushing for him, but I'm just thinking I hadn't thought about that. That might be you know, a little extra. No, it's, it's a good question. Um if the Oilers retired his number without him being in the Hall of Fame, I'd be I'd be fine with that because he was so beloved, and I think retired numbers are as are as much for the fans as they are for anybody else. I just think that if if you came to me right now and said, "Reed, you can either put Ryan Smith or Doug Waite into the Hockey Hall of Fame. You can only pick one." I picked Doug Waite ten times out of ten, and that's not putting down Ryan or anything. Uh, I just uh, think Waite was more of a, a standout player uh, over about the same number of games. I'll ask you the other question now because it made me think of this. If if you could put one of those two up in the Oiler rafters, which one would you put? I'd put Smith because he was an Oiler longer. <laughs> yes, and the and I don't think like I was uh, uh, a couple of Islander games just happened to be at. Only two other games ever, and both times they were retiring someone's number. No, oh, no way. Folks, folks who weren't, I don't think they were in the Hall of Fame, but 
there's a point where you say, this isn't about the Hall of Fame, this is about our team. And so-and-so was beloved and well thought of and still active and deserves to have his, his number in the rafters. Nothing to do with the double uh, HOF uh, in Toronto. Right. Yeah, I mean it's 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 an it's an interesting it's an interesting debate. I mean, I didn't expect to be asked that question, question tonight. I just, I mean, yeah, I mean, you got to be pretty good to make the Hockey Hall of Fame. And as good as Smith was, um, you know, I don't know. Did did he maintain it long enough late into his career? Um, you know, was he ever absolutely as much as he was among the best when he peaked? Was he ever absolutely the best? Did he ever win an individual award? Now, Wade never won an individual award. Um, there might have been a little more dimension to Wade's game just because he of the way he made plays and the way he skated, right? Yeah. So I don't know. That's a, that's a good. One. We'll we'll probably get back to that some other night this summer, Bernie. Thanks a lot for calling. Okay. Drop one last one. Yeah. Go ahead. Thinking about it, though, there's just so many more players in the NHL now. There's, there are going to be that many. There are going to be lots of thousand-point players and uh, .99 points per game players, or, or not .99, but .89 or whatever. So it's not likely that Smith or people like him, who are a beloved, better than journeyman, but not, you know, the thousand-point guys, they'll they'll never really come up for consideration. So it it was an interesting question, but I don't see it ever happening because. Who gets bumped then that does have a thousand point career? Right. And they're always going to value offense, right? Especially for forwards. So, and yeah. Smith's numbers are here's the thing Smith's numbers are very good, but they're not gaudy, right? Especially no. for the era he played in. So, Bernie, thanks for thanks, calling, man. buddy. Bye bye. Tomorrow on this station, Eskimos and Red Blacks 3.30 pregame show, 5 o'clock for the kickoff. Mike Riley, quarterback for your green and gold, saying the Eskimos and Red Blacks are a lot different compared to when they went head-to-head in week one. We're both different teams than obviously than where we were last year, but even you know, you're six games into the season now. Um, it's totally different for each team than it was week one. Um, but the thing that hasn't changed is they're a very good football team. So, you know, we're going to go out and we put together a performance where we execute for 60 minutes. Uh, we'll be just fine. But, you know, when you play against a team like that, you got to make sure that you're you're on point for all four quarters. You guys are uh, early on started putting in an identity together where you're a uh, deep threat every snap, you know, anything can happen uh, sort of thing. Uh, are there other areas of the team? Where, I mean, when you talk about a team's identity, there's more than just one particular identity you can have. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, we speaking offensively, I think we have a very dangerous offense. We have um, the ability to to stretch the field. Uh, We can maintain ball control and we can run the ball well. But, you know, we every offense tries tries to maintain some type of balance um, based on the situations. The last couple of games, we've had to throw the ball more than we've had to run it. Um, But I think that we can be effective in, in all phases that make an offense very good. Um, and, and the more we're able to do that, the diff- more difficult it becomes for the defense, for sure. Do, do offenses notice? I mean, you're never on the field as the other offense at the same time. But these are the two top yards producing offenses in the league. Do you, I mean, um, I mean, well, yeah, we know what they're capable of for sure. I mean, they're they're a very exciting offense to watch, very similar to us. Um, you know, and they've dealt with their fair share of injuries, and it hasn't slowed them down. So obviously, uh, they're very good at what they do. Um, but you're right. When we're on the sidelines, we're now that we have the the video with the iPads and things like that. M- more often than not, we're just we're talking to each other and, and okay. trying to figure out what to do on the next drive. So outside of you know, if it's second down and long, uh, you're watching the play to see if they're going to punt or if they get the conversion or if they're down in the red zone, whether.
whether they're going to score, kick a field goal, or whatever they're going to do. But outside of that, I don't really pay much attention to it. How do you prepare for a defense and a secondary in particular with a lot of new faces that you maybe haven't seen before? <sighs> well, I mean, we know we know what their schemes are. I mean, Mark Nelson is a great defensive coordinator. I've played against him a lot in the last couple of years and got to know him pretty well. And I know that he always has his guys prepared. So I don't, I don't really look at personnel to begin with. Our offense is more, um, you know, it's less about individual one-on-one -on -one matchups and more about just going through your progression, your read based on what the defense is doing. So uh, to me, I don't really look at that a ton. Um, but there again, at the same time, when you have new guys, um, some people like to go and say, I'm going to attack those guys. I think that's pretty stupid if you don't have a lot of film on a guy because he may just well be the best defensive player in the league. You don't know. You haven't seen him. Uh, so we wait and see how those matchups are during the course of the game, and then we'll adjust accordingly. When you talk about progressions and reads, I mean, it's the same thing that we heard, obviously, with Jason Moss here being last mm -hmm. year, being familiar with that. How has it yep. been uh, working with him this season? Uh, it's been great. Um, you know, I, I think that just helping me become a better quarterback is one of the things that I've noticed early on, just understanding what we're trying to accomplish with each play, um, you know, understand the importance of getting through the progressions and putting less on, uh, you know, taking off and running with it and getting to the guys that, that actually are fast, uh, which is not me. So, um, you know, I think that that's going to go a long way with, with helping me to, to be healthy and stay healthy for the season, but also to, to be more productive and more effective as a quarterback. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time together in the film room. It's pretty impressive just to see how he thinks a game, how he builds a game plan. I haven't seen anything like that before. Um, but again, we're only six, this will be six games into it. So we have a lot that we need to continue to improve on. I think as the season goes on, we'll, we'll continue to do that and, and we'll be a much better, different team uh, coming into the last third of the season. But right now, that's the goal is to try to continue to improve and get better each and every week. So considering it's only week six for, for or game number six for this team, is it too early to look at standings? You know, I don't really look at, I look at each individual game. Obviously, we want to win whenever we play, um, you know, but everybody's always said, uh, you know, the season starts after Labor Day. Uh, I know that people think that a lot. Um, for us, again, it's one game at a time, but, you know, you want to put yourself into the best position you can be uh, going down the stretch into the end of the season. And for me and for our team, like I just mentioned, I think the most important part is that we figure out the things that we're not doing well, learn from those mistakes and get better and continue to improve every single week. So when the stretch hits, we're playing our best football. But that, that doesn't mean that these games are not important. They are for sure. And so, um, you know, this is an opportunity to get back into the win column, and this is definitely an important game for us. All right, that is Mike Riley, ready to go Eskimos against the Red Blacks. This portion of Inside Sports brought to you by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right, or it's free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. You may be worried about tomorrow's matchup. Well, uh, so are the Red Blacks fans. They think the Eskimos are pretty potent. We'll find out why when we get back. Hey, this is Jordan Everly from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. So Devin Travis homered in the top of the ninth. The Blue Jays lead the Royals 4-3. Now in the bottom of the ninth, Travis with two homers this evening. Top of the first, top of the ninth as the uh, Blue Jays go for another victory. If they get it, they will likely remain tied with the Orioles in the AL East. The Orioles pounding out 16 hits so far tonight. They lead the White Sox 7-2. In uh, the top of the eighth, the Edmonton Prospects still trying to fight back in Medicine Hat, down one nothing in the bottom of the eighth in game one of their best-of-five division 
final. Inside Sports on 630 Chet, Matthew Panasic, not just a regular edition of Inside Sports. It's an Inside Sports Friday night dance party. Oh yeah, we're rolling out all the hits this evening. That is some great stuff, buddy. Didn't they have a song called uh, "The Right Stuff"? You got the right stuff. Yeah, yeah. That that was that was a great. I don't think that's how it went. The right stuff. Yeah. I believe that's how it went, but I could be wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, then again, I apparently knew more about the Backstreet Boys than than uh, than I even thought that I knew. Uh, Jeff Avery is the analyst for the Ottawa Red Blacks, a, a, a former uh, football player for the Ottawa CFL team and uh, at the University of Ottawa as well. Jeff, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Very well today, sir. Yourself? Yeah, I'm doing great. It's uh, awesome to have you back on the show. And uh, another... Another showdown between these two teams. I mean, the the, the season opener was uh, was a classic, and uh, uh, maybe an maybe an early indication of how the season uh, is going to go for these two teams because uh, the Eskimos have had trouble stopping the pass, and uh, Ottawa, um, you know, they were up, and now maybe they're a little down as compared to where they were two or three weeks ago. Yeah, uh, they've had their their challenges, if you will, through injuries and uh, having the having acquired. Trevor Harris during the offseason from Toronto, it, he really just stepped in and kept the offensive portion just rolling right along, even perhaps even more productive. But uh, injuries have taken their toll on the defense, and uh, like Edmonton, they've struggled at times. Uh, and this week against Edmonton is no different. There, there's going to be a big shuffle in the secondary and a little bit of a shuffle along the defensive line. So their, their trials and tribulations continue, and I know Edmonton's have had their, Edmonton has had their stopping stopping the pass and keeping people out of their own end zone. Well, you're right. And, and I mean, in the Eskimos, despite a, a couple of disappointing losses at home, uh, at times in those two games, I mean, they basically moved the ball in the first half against Hamilton and the second half against Winnipeg. That middle 60 minutes was uh, a write-off. But, but I mean, I, I, Ottawa, I'm sitting here worried about the, the Ottawa passing game, and Ottawa radio is probably sitting there talking about what do you do with, with Walker and Bowman, right? Absolutely. That's exactly the question. The concern here is the best two receivers, two of the top three productively, but you know, arguably the best tandem in the league is coming to town against a secondary that you're throwing a row, <laughs> throwing the dice to see who's going to play where. So yeah, it is the topic of conversation. All right. Well, and, and this Ottawa team, I, I got to ask you about uh, the Toronto game on Sunday because I thought, uh, okay, here's Toronto, Ray's not playing. Uh, Ottawa's at home, probably a little ticked off after losing in Saskatchewan, and uh, I guess you know I guess it kind of turned into a field goal kicking contest. But you know, take take me through the Red Blacks coming up short in what I thought was, you know, a, a game they should have been favored against the Argos. Uh, should have been favored, I would agree. And and had they played well, uh, I think they would have come out with a victory. But 
right across the board, there were problems throughout the game with the entire, you know, most components of the team. But obviously, it it always focuses on the guy taking snaps from center, and and so we'll talk about Henry. He just he was not good enough. It was his first game back since that injury in the first quarter of the Edmonton game, and he's you know sorry first half of the Edmonton game, and he and and he just was not sharp. He was underthrowing balls, overthrowing balls. He threw balls where they should never have been thrown. He was picked off a couple of times. Should have been picked off two more times that should have and would have had they been the DBs been able to hang on to the ball would have been pick sixes so you know Henry was just not Henry and so we fully expect that he will after a week of practice and, and working at it because he's a very prideful individual he's, he knows you know he doesn't want to go out there and lay two eggs like that we expect him to bounce back this week against and it what should turn into really a very entertaining offensive display of football it's interesting with that quarterback position because Burris is is Burris. I mean, he's going to be in the CFL Hall of Fame, and and rightfully so. And Harris, this this up and coming guy. Now they've never really been healthy at the same time. So, um, I mean, if they're both healthy, how do you look at that relationship, that situation? What do you think could play out there? Well, they're all saying the right thing, Reed. You know, Henry saying the right, saying you know, if, if Harris was playing and healthy when I came back and was healthy, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't pull him if he was producing as well as he had in those first four games. And then Harris is saying, well, you know, Henry is the MVP last year, and uh, he's a, he's the leader of the team, so I'm here as the backup this year, and so I'm going to go in and be ready to play if I'm ever needed. So they're all saying the right thing. But if push comes to shove, the more productive of the, of the two. Now we've had a much bigger sample with Trevor Harris, but it has been Trevor Harris. Um, and given that if Henry's at the top of his game, as we saw in many instances last year, to truly compare the two of them, I'd say the biggest difference is Harris's tremendous ability to be very accurate with the long ball and Henry's unfortunate inability to be accurate with the long ball. And we saw it again uh, last week where he had uh, Chris Williams running two or three strides behind the defender, and instead of putting air under it and allowing Chris Williams just to run under it and walk into the end zone with an easy six, he puts that extra oomph on it, throws a low-working ball, and it's difficult for Williams to get a hand on it and make the catch. So, you know, that's the one glaring difference, and, you know, everybody talks about that media-wise here in town. Fortunately... I don't have to make that decision <laughs> when when they are too healthy and ready to play. Yeah, really good quarterbacks there in Ottawa. It will be Henry Burris tomorrow. Jeff, thanks for checking in tonight. That is Jeff Avery, Red Blacks analyst, uh, former football player as well for the old Rough Riders, and uh, he was a standout with the University of Ottawa as uh, as well. It, this will be an interesting one. Ottawa has not looked as potent as they did earlier in the season, first three or four weeks, and the Eskimos obviously the last two games uh, head scratching. I mean, the the way, what they were doing to Hamilton in the first half, you're starting to think, well, they're going to repeat. They're going to they're going to win the Grey Cup again, and and now they've looked totally floundering over their last six quarters. Big game tomorrow. I know I know it's early, but you you look at the way that the division is shape shaping up. Calgary and BC look both very good. Winnipeg now has three wins. Uh, I mean, if Edmonton loses tomorrow, they're right down there, just two points ahead of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and, and all of a sudden a challenge to to make a playoff spot. We'll see how that shakes down. Tomorrow, tomorrow, 3.30 pregame show, 5 o'clock for the kickoff. Eskimos in Ottawa, Dave Campbell and Morley Scott are there. We'll have it for you live. The Blue Jays do win 4-3. 
over the Kansas City Royals. Thanks to our guests tonight, besides Jeff Adry, you heard from Taylor Sinsky, director of golf at the Quarry, Patrick Cassidy, owner of the Edmonton Prospects, Arash Madani from the Olympics in Rio, Morley Scott was on the show, and Bill Ranford for more on the alumni game at the Heritage Classic in Winnipeg. You can go to 630Ched.com. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. The stu uh, studio producer is Matthew Panashik. Matthew, get some sleep or take a day off work or something. Monday, I get a day off, so I'll be good then. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks to everybody who called and texted tonight. It is my pleasure to bring you this program. I greatly enjoy talking with you. Have a great weekend. Go Eskimos. See ya. Just grab your hat and come travel like that's old style. Maybe tomorrow I want to settle down. Until tomorrow the whole world is my home. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.